Hola, this is Raquel, and you're listening to the Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, September 17th, and this is your Sunday Sermon. We're continuing in our sermon series, Lessons from Nehemiah. Today is part six, and we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter six, verses one to 19, and we're going to talk about yet another challenging topic, dealing with distractions. But before we do that, join me in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we love you, we adore you, we thank you for this amazing opportunity we have to learn from you once again. Open our hearts to receive your truth in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let me ask you, do you have any unfinished projects lying around and collecting dust? It's easy to get sidetracked, isn't it? It takes tenacity to finish what we start because there are so many distractions competing for our attention. One thing that clearly emerges from our study in the book of Nehemiah is that life is a battle from beginning to end. In Ephesians 6.12, the Apostle Paul warns, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world. We meet these mighty powers of darkness in our text today. Here in Nehemiah 6, as in many other places in Scripture, we learn that the devil has two main ways of working. The first tactic is fear. As Peter said in 1 Peter 5.8, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. But he has another battle plan as well. He not only uses fear, he also uses flattery. 2 Corinthians 11.14 reveals that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He comes with enticing promises and flattering words, assuring us that what he proposes will cost us nothing. Whatever method the evil one employs, whether it's fear or flattery, his aim is to distract and destroy us. We need to be on guard against each of these approaches. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that we are familiar with his evil schemes. We need to be on guard because Satan is both a lion that devours and a serpent that deceives. Let me give you a simple outline of chapter 6 today. It's going to help you better handle how we're going to deal with distractions. The first part is verses 1 through 4, and I've titled that The Intrigue. The second part is verses 5 through 9, and I'll call that the innuendo. And thirdly, verses 10 to 19, we'll call that the intimidation. Since Sanballat and his sinister buddies failed in their attempts to stop the wall builders, they decided to concentrate their attacks on Nehemiah himself by changing their tactics and resorting to subtle persuasion. We might call this political softball. You'll experience this in life as well when you try to correct some things in your life. Many people today are faltering in their Christian pilgrimage because they listen to the advice and temptations of those who are closest to them. Let's talk about the first point in dealing with distraction, and that is the intrigue. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. Open your Bible or Bible app, and let's read that, Nehemiah 6, 1 through 4, and let's take a look at what's happening. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. 
why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. These enemies suddenly become Nehemiah's friends and invite him to a conference down on the plain of Ono. The first four verses look like a political concession speech, don't they? They want to meet with Nehemiah and cut their losses, or so it seems. Ono is located on the seacoast near the Gaza Strip. It was a beautiful resort area, but Nehemiah senses danger. They are scheming to harm me. So, Nehemiah said, oh no, to Ono. Some commentators suggest that they were trying to trick him into leaving Jerusalem, where he had armed support to come to a conference where they were going to ambush him. Nehemiah evidently senses this. He firmly declined, saying, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? This is a great answer, even though it sounds a little bit blunt. But Nehemiah sees through their scheme by refusing their invitation four different times. You too, my friends, may experience continuing pressure to change your mind and go along with something that's wrong. Some of us give in to repeated pressure. We might decline the first invitation, but find our defenses weakened as the enticements continue. But Nehemiah persists in his refusal because he knows what his priorities are. They are, I'm doing a great work. I have a great calling. God has committed a tremendous project to me, and if I leave it, it will be threatened. So he knew exactly what he was doing and why. Sometimes these distractions come disguised as harmless options or even good things. Just a few days ago, while working on this passage, I remembered a time just two years ago when I stopped officiating funerals for people outside the church. I mean, I love helping people, but I was doing it so often that it was becoming a distraction from the main ministry the Lord has called me to. And when you think about it, folks, there are many things that distract us from what's really important. Things like the internet, social media, TV, sports, reading, and even email. That's one of my biggest distractions. I like to get up early each day so that I can read and pray and jump into Bible study or sermon prep while I'm still fresh. Sometimes, though, after I clean up and shave, I sit down in a chair in my room, I go to the cell phone and I start checking emails, messages, social media, even sports updates before engaging in my daily devotional. While those things are not really bad in and of themselves, they serve as big distractions. Unfortunately, when I start my morning this way, I don't give God his proper place in my schedule and sometimes I will neglect meeting with him altogether that day. One of the most helpful things that we can do to resist temptation is to remember that God has called each and every one of us to a great task. This is true of every believer in Christ, whether you're at Orofolk Christian Church or wherever your church home may be. We're called to make a kingdom impact. In my reading this week, I came across a pastor who shared that his church used an acrostic for the word impact, I-M-P-A-C-T. He used it to help his people focus both corporately and personally on having a kingdom impact. So I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to read it with you. And I want to do this because I think this should be for every church and every believer, quite frankly. The first letter of the word impact is I, and it stands for instruction in God's word. We're called to read, study, and apply the Bible. We are to do this on our own and also by listening to the word as it's preached and taught in Bible study. Next is the M. M stands for mobilized for ministry. We are to be involved in using our time, talents, and treasures in the work of the ministry. Next is the letter P. It stands for praying with faith. We are to be engaged in regular and fervent prayer. Next, the letter A. It stands for adoring God in worship. 
We are to worship God with reverence and with joy, both individually and corporately. Next, the letter C. It stands for caring for others. We must be the church before we can build the church. We must be committed to each other. And lastly, the letter T. It stands for telling others about the gospel. We are to look for ways to share the gospel message with those around us. Years ago, I remember reading about a missionary in China whose abilities were so outstanding that one of the American companies tried to hire him. They offered him an attractive job with a salary to match, but he turned it down. He told them that God had sent him to China as a missionary. He thought that would end the matter, but instead they came back with an even better offer and a salary increase. But he turned that down too. But again, they came back, doubling the financial package. Finally, he said to them, it's not your salary that's too little. It's the job that's too small. In her book, A Practical Guide to Prayer, Dorothy Haskins tells about a noted concert violinist who was asked the secret of her mastery of the instrument. This is what she said. There are many things that used to demand my time. When I went to my room after breakfast, I made my bed, straightened the room, dusted and did whatever seemed necessary. When I finished my work, I turned to my violin practice. That system prevented me from accomplishing what I should on the violin. So I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete. And that program of planned neglect is the secret to my success. Friends, in a similar way, we've been called to a great task, one that we have to prioritize or we'll be distracted from it. If we don't practice some planned neglect in other things, even good things will be distracted from God's best. That's what Nehemiah does. He's involved in a great work and he's not going to forsake it for anything less. Next, let's talk about the second point in dealing with distraction, and that is the innuendo, verses 5 through 9. When the enemy cannot accomplish his purpose by offering peace, he switches back to his original scheme of sinister threats. He moves from political softball to political hardball. Take a look at verses 5 through 7. They say, Then, the fifth time Sambalat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. This arm-twisting tactic is designed to pressure Nehemiah to yield to their request and thus fall into their trap. But he resists because he sees it for what it really is, an enticement based on lies. Note, it was an unsealed letter. In other words, it was designed for everyone to read so that the lie would be spread around that Nehemiah was trying to make himself king. Have you ever noticed that rumors regularly cite people of distinction as their sources? That's what happened here. Look at verse 6. It says, and Geshem says it's true. Just like people say, well, it must be true because it's on the internet. Someone has said that gossip is news that you have to hurry to tell somebody else before they find out it isn't true. Nehemiah responded three different ways. He denied the rumor, he prayed to God for strength, and then he went back to work. Look at verse 8. Nehemiah says, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. That's the best way to respond to a charge like this, my friends, just flat denial. He doesn't try to disprove the accusation, but merely states, that's a lie, there's no truth in it. And then invariably, as was his practice, he responds with another quick prayer in verse 9. 
They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Their tactics were to get the people to think that Nehemiah had some hidden motive, his own glory, for rebuilding the wall, hoping that the workers would then become discouraged and quit. Nehemiah simply says, Lord, do not let that happen. Strengthen me for your work. Let me work all the harder. They were on the last lap of the race and the finish line was in sight. He took care of his character and trusted God to take care of his reputation. The third aspect of dealing with distraction is the intimidation. Let's look at verses 10 through 19. Once again, the enemy switches his game plan in verse 10, which reads, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in in his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. The false prophet claims to have hidden knowledge. That's suggested by this phrase, he was shut in at his home. He was secluding himself for some religious reason. This is frequently the case with those who claim to be psychics or in touch with the invisible world. They sit behind curtains of semi-darkness trying to create a sense of mystery as though they know more about inscrutable things than others. And what he says sounds logical. Men are coming to kill you, and Nehemiah certainly believes that. The man suggests, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let's close the doors of the temple. Well, that sounds good, but immediately Nehemiah detects that something's wrong. He knows that he's not permitted to go into temple, for only priests could enter the holy place. So he answers in verse 11, But I said, Should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Nehemiah realizes that a prophet who was really from the Lord would say nothing contrary to God's commands. In verse 3, he said, I cannot come down. Now he says, I will not go. Having right priorities gave Nehemiah the courage to do what was right. Courage isn't the absence of fear, but instead it's the tenacity to do what's right no matter how much we're afraid. You see, it's not just a matter of saying no to distractions. First, we have to say yes to the right things so that our priorities match up with God's priorities. And as we keep the main thing the main thing, we'll be able to deal with the distractions the way Nehemiah did. God gives Nehemiah some insight in verses 12 and 13. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalit had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. It was all part of a plan to discourage and distract the people from following Nehemiah's lead. Fueled by jealousy and ambition, these enemies slandered him and tried to trick him into yielding to their demands. Folks, we must be aware of this kind of attack in our lives as well. Don't take someone's advice or do what a friend says just because they seem to be a nice person. Don't let anyone or anything distract you from God's priorities. The best response to such an approach is what Nehemiah uses here, a deep sense of his true identity as a believer in verse 11. Should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? He falls back on his clear understanding of who he is and what his priorities are. He's a believer in the living God, and as such, he need not resort to trickery to save his life. Nehemiah meets the attack of the enemy by going to prayer once again in verse 14, which says, Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, O oh my God, because of what they've done. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who've been trying to intimidate me. This brings us to the end of the first phase of Nehemiah's work in verses 15 to 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. 
When all the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. Did you see that? Even their enemies had to admit that God was at work. The entire project was finished in just 52 days. What a beautiful picture of the power of Christian witness in the community. Even their foes must agree that God is at work among them, but the enemies are still not through. In these closing verses, we see how they continue their tactics of opposing and distracting. Look at verses 17 and 18. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was the son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. This is simply saying that Tobiah had intermarried with the Israelites. Taking advantage of that relationship, he was seeking to undermine Nehemiah's influence by nothing more than mere gossip. As Nehemiah says in verse 19, Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Brothers and sisters, here's one of the overriding truths of this book. Here it is. The devil never quits. He's never going to give up while we're still alive. God has wonderful blessings and much encouragement and joy for us along the way, but we must never cease battling against this world, the flesh, and the devil until we get to heaven. The enemy of God will never quit. If he cannot distract you with fear and flattery, he'll use gossip and false accusations. What then are we to do? As I bring this sermon to a close, let's ask God to apply this passage to our lives. I can see at least two action steps for us today. Number one, practice saying yes to God's priorities. Say that with me. Practice saying yes to God's priorities. The best way to not be distracted is by being attracted to those things that are at the heart of God or are on the heart of God. Once we're aware of what those are and we're attracted to them, we need to commit ourselves to a life of full devotion and complete commitment. I once heard a story about a Native American who left the reservation to join his cousin who lived in the city. One day as they were walking down a busy street, the Native American said, I hear a cricket. His city cousin was amazed because all he could hear was the traffic. After a short search, the man reached down and picked up the cricket. When he stood up, he pulled out some change from his pocket and he dropped it on the sidewalk. But immediately, several pedestrians stopped and turned toward the sound. The man turned to his cousin and said, See, people hear what's important to them. What are you hearing today, my friend? What is it that's important to you? Are you locked into God's kingdom purposes or are you focused on a bunch of other things? The second action step is this. Practice saying no to the devil's distractions. Say that with me. Practice saying no to the devil's distractions. I don't know what distractions you're facing, but it might be television. I read this week, according to the A.C. Nielsen Company, that the average American spends over four hours a day watching TV. That's 28 hours a week or two months of nonstop TV watching per year. By the age of 65, the average American will have spent nearly nine years glued to the tube. Let's take some time right now and ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify those things that are distracting you from God's priorities. Is it a friend, an activity, your money, your possessions, your thought life, your career? When the Spirit makes it clear, decide how you can begin to say no to those things that are derailing you from what's most important. Maybe you can practice saying no like Nehemiah did when he said, I will not come down and I will not go in. Earlier this week, I stumbled across a fictional report of a worldwide convention that Satan and his demons participated in. In the devil's opening address to the followers, he said, 
We cannot keep Christians from going to church, but we can steal their time. Let's keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds. Keep them busy, busy, busy. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so they'll leave with troubled consciences and unsettled emotions. Let's crowd their lives with so many good things that they've no time to seek the best things. Now that's just a fictional report, but that point is really powerful. Friends, the enemy will act to distract you. But while he blasts away, God is building his kingdom. Satan is subtle, but God is sufficient. Remember, when God's priorities become our priorities, God's kingdom work will advance. When the wall was completed, verse 16 says, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. May that be said of us as well. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.